Today on the Matt Wall Show, Canada continues to exterminate itself with its assisted suicide epidemic. It's gotten so bad that retail brands are now using suicide to sell their products. Also, backlash against Balenciaga's child exploitation continues to build, though the criticism from some corners has been rather, well, muted. Plus, Apple goes to war with Elon Musk, and Biden's cross-dressing bestiality fetishist energy official has been charged with a felony after stealing a woman's suitcase from the airport. And it only gets... Weirder from there somehow. All of that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. Will the lack of a red wave during the midterms lead to more reckless spending by a more emboldened Biden administration, higher taxes, deeper inflation? If you're unsure how the next two years will unfold, talk to Birch Gold Group about protecting your savings with gold. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert your IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals so you can own gold and silver in a tax-sheltered account. Here's what you need to do. Text Walsh to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold. Then talk to one of their precious metal specialists. They will help you go through the entire process. And with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers and almost 20 years of experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metal IRAs, Birch Gold can help protect your savings also. All you got to do if you want to take advantage of that is text Walsh to 989898 and protect yourself with gold today. That's Walsh to 989898. If you live here in the United States, you need only look over our northern border to witness one of the most consequential and most dire events happening in the modern Western world. And uh, we've been following it on this show. And uh, but, you know, outside of the Daily Wire and a few other conservative outlets, it has not gotten nearly as much attention as it deserves. And I think that's partly because we're all kind of overwhelmed with this constant influx of information. And it's difficult to know which things we should focus on. And even if we know what we should focus on, it's hard to focus at all on anything. And it's partly because the event that I'm referring to is so dark and depressing that most people prefer not to talk about it or think about it or acknowledge that it's happening. And yet it is. And I'm referring, of course, to Canada's suicide epidemic. What makes this suicide epidemic even more alarming than the already quite alarming suicide epidemic that uh, is happening in this country, the United States, is that in Canada, the epidemic is being funded and facilitated and encouraged and glorified by the Canadian government and the medical establishment. Or, as they prefer to phrase it, uh, the suicide epidemic is being assisted. It is being assisted. Assisted suicide or medical assistance in dying in Canada, uh, as we've covered on this show, is becoming more and more common with each passing year as the, quote, service is opened up to more and more people. Last year, 2020, 2021, 10,000 people died by assisted suicide in the country, which is, needless to say, a lot. And that was a significant jump, over 30%, in fact, uh, from the year before that. And this year, we'll see, we can be certain, in, in, an even bigger jump as assisted suicide is increasingly inflicted on people, not just for terminal illness anymore, but even for physically healthy people, people with conditions, quote-unquote, such as depression, mental illness, homelessness. Now there's a push for assisted suicide for minors. Assisted suicide also for patients who have, quote, lost the capacity to consent, according to one of the amendments that's uh, being proposed. They're trying to basically shuffle as many people as possible towards the exit exits, and it's working. Euthanasia is rapidly becoming a leading cause of death in many Canadian provinces. In fact, Canada's euthanasia laws are so relaxed 
and so devoid of safeguards or limitations that they make the horrific assisted suicide policies in places like Belgium and the Netherlands look downright responsible by comparison. For instance, Canada is the only country in the world where assisted suicide can be carried out by medical professionals who aren't even doctors. Nurse practitioners can kill people in Canada. Not that it's any better if a doctor does it, of course, but this just shows how they're relaxing all the policies. Not only that, but Canada takes specific steps to obscure and cover up the extent of the euthanasia re regime. As the AP reports, quote, medical authorities in its two largest provinces, Ontario and Quebec, explicitly instruct doctors not to indicate on death certificates if people died from euthanasia. Not only that, but even in Belgium, doctors are, at least in theory, instructed not to recommend euthanasia to patients as a potential treatment. Okay, the patient has to bring it up himself, at which point they'll happily kill him. Now, I'm extremely skeptical that such a policy is actually followed, but in Canada, they don't even bother with that sort of policy in theory. Again, from the AP, quote, there are no such restrictions in Canada. The Association of Canadian Healthcare Professionals who provide euthanasia tell physicians and nurses to inform patients if they might qualify to be killed as one of their possible clinical care options. Now, this uh, helps explain the, the story from several months ago about the veteran who called the VA looking for help with his PTSD, and instead he was told that he should consider killing himself. So they're not just providing assisted suicide to anyone who wants it for any reason. I mean, they are doing that, but also they're actively encouraging it. They are advertising it. They are literally advertising it, in fact. The CBC has this report, quote, Quebec-based retailer Simons made a deliberate move toward inspiration last month as part of a new video called All is Beauty. The video is centered around and narrated by BC's Jennifer Hatch. The 37-year-old died on October 23rd and shows medical assistance in dying after dealing with complications and chronic pain associated with her diagnosis of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which is a group of inherited disorders that affect the connective tissue supporting many body parts. In the video available on Simon's uh, shopping website, viewers get a glimpse into some of the moments of Hatch's last month and hear her share her thoughts on life, death, and her quest to fill her final days with beauty, with nature, and with connection. Peter Simon's chief merchant for the fashion chain says the documentary project started after meeting Hatch through the MADE program and traveling to Vancouver to talk about working on a unique film. Quote, we really felt after everything we've been through in the last two years and everyone's been through, maybe it would resonate more to do a project that's less commercially oriented and more focused on inspiration and values that we hold dear, said Simons. Simon says that he thinks customers will appreciate the unconventional move. Well, you tell me how much you appreciate this. Here's the ad. Last breaths are sacred. When I imagine my final days, I see bubbles. I see the ocean. I see music. Even now, as I seek help to end my life, there is still so much beauty. You just have to be brave enough to see it. Now, the word dystopian is vastly overused these days, but if it ever applied to anything, it applies to that. It is truly one of the most dystopian things I've ever seen. A fashion retailer using suicide to sell clothing. And this is the way 
it always goes, right? You take an evil thing, be it assisted suicide or gender ideology or abortion or something else, and then you medicalize it. And after it is medicalized, the brands get a hold of it and it is corporatized. Each part of the system, each member of this grotesque human centipede has its own way of profiting off of the evil, uh, profiting off of the destructive thing. But it's perhaps most viscerally disturbing once the brands get to work. In this case, trying to make suicide into something inspirational and fashionable, almost like it's a sort of an, an, an aesthetic choice to, to commit suicide. Here's more of the CEO, Peter Simons, explaining this campaign. Listen. It was perhaps hard to reconnect with a hope and an optimism, and we wanted to uh, do something that really underlined human connection and perhaps would help people to uh, reconnect to each other and to this hope and optimism that that is going to be needed if we're going to build the sort of communities and, and, and spaces where we, we want to live and that are enjoyable to live in. One thing we know about evil is that it doesn't create anything of its own. It has no creative power. It can only subvert what already exists. It takes what is good and turns it on its head. It desecrates the holy and the sacred. This is why satanic rituals are always modeled after Christian rituals. They are parodies, mockeries, rather than inventions. And here we see how this Satanist, Peter Simons, has made a parody and mockery out of hope. For him, hope and optimism means self-destruction. The hopeful and optimistic person is the person who has given up on the future, given up on life, which is, of course, the exact diametric opposite of hope and optimism. It is, it is the death of hope. It is the death of everything. It is death itself. And although the absurdity of this rebranding is, I hope, obvious to most of us, the extremely troubling point is that it is not obvious to everyone. And it's becoming obvious to fewer and fewer people as time goes on. The assisted suicide machine exists in a society where people are conditioned to find the suicide pitch appealing. They are conditioned to be susceptible to this sort of propaganda. And in fact, this machine could only exist in such a society to begin with. Now let's get to our five headlines. Don't be distracted by parties and presents this holiday season. Instead, join Hallow's most anticipated prayer challenge of the year, Pray 25. Led by cast members from The Chosen, the largest Christian streaming series in history, Pray 25 will guide you through meditation and prayer for 25 days leading up to Christmas. Pray 25 will help you grow your understanding of mankind and develop a disciplined prayer habit during a season when discipline is put to the test, to put it mildly. Hallow is the number one Christian prayer app in the U.S. and the number one Catholic app in the world. Hallow helps me make prayer a priority, and with Pray 25, it can do the same for you. Find peace and fortify your faith this Christmas with Hallow. You can download the app for free and join Pray 25 Challenge. Go to hallow.com slash Matt Walsh and get three months completely free. That's hallow.com slash Matt Walsh to reclaim your peace during this holiday season. One other thought about this, speaking of the conditioning that makes suicide so appealing in our society, uh, whether it's the doctor-assisted variety or the uh, uh, traditional sort of suicide, I, I, um, I think the number one factor that makes people susceptible to it is the popular idea, the misconception, the myth in our culture 
that life is not supposed to involve suffering, that suffering is not supposed to be a part of the bargain. It's not supposed to come with the existence package. This is what people are conditioned to believe, so that when they experience suffering, which they inevitably will, because everybody does, because it does come with life, but when they, when they experience it, they think that it means that something is wrong with them, something is defective, right? They start feeling, they start experiencing suffering, and they're not feeling good, and they think, well, it's, it's, something's horribly wrong here. I'm not supposed to feel this way, and they go looking for a mental illness diagnosis, um, and then maybe ultimately they, they decide that the defect is incurable. Maybe they're even told in Canada they'll be, they might be told this. Uh, there's nothing we could do for you. Here's the one treatment option we have available. It's uh, it's the permanent sort of treatment, which is the end of your suffering existence. But what people used to intuitively understand is that suffering is part of life. It is it is part of life. This is the stuff that human existence is made out of. Like it or not. Um, and you're not going to like it, but it's just true. You can't avoid it. You can't run from it without running from existence. And that's why, that's why the goal should not be to avoid suffering or to come up with some sort of total cure for it, right? To treat suffering itself like it's a disease because it's not. There are diseases that can cause more suffering and where you can... Um, help you know, alleviate someone's suffering in, in an immediate sense, we should obviously do that. But suffering itself is not a disease. And the ultimate goal should not be to uh, create an existence for someone where they experience no suffering. It should be to, to help them find meaning in the suffering. Because human beings can endure almost any amount of suffering if they're able to find meaning in it. This is a man's search for meaning, Viktor Frankl, right? This is, this is the insight. You can endure anything if you have meaning in your life, but the flip side of that coin is that you can endure almost nothing if you have no meaning in your life. If you have no meaning, then, then, then the, the slightest breeze might knock you on your ass. So the crucial thing here is to help people find meaning, which cannot be accomplished through pills and through medical procedures. This is, what I've, this is why I'm always hammering on this point. I'm not saying that there's no role at all for psychiatric drugs. I think that there's, a, at best, an extremely limited role in some extreme cases. But in most cases, you know, what the, the fundamental problem is, is, is not that someone is experiencing suffering, but it's that they, they don't have meaning in their life. And you could try to, to numb that. You could try to come up with a Band-Aid measure to cover it up, but it's still there, that lack of meaning. And the answer is whether, no matter how you slice it, it's a, it's a spiritual answer. That's how you find meaning in your life. There's no other place to find it. All right. So let's begin with Balenciaga. The Daily Wire has the latest. The fashion company Balenciaga responded to its ongoing scandal involving a photo shoot that featured young children holding BDSM-themed teddy bear bags by saying that it could have done things differently. The company issued the statement Monday afternoon after facing severe public backlash when it was accused of sexualizing young children. The brand, which celebrities like Kim Kardashian often wear, displayed images on its website last week as part of its Toy Stories campaign. 
The photos showed child models posing with brands, the brand's teddy bear handbags with the bears dressed in BDSM-themed gear from its Paris Fashion Week 2023 collection. The company said that it strongly condemns child abuse. It was never our intent to include it in our narrative. And yet, they did. Um, they went through the trouble of designing this whole photo shoot, and they took the photos, and they edited it all down, and they, they, they came up with the, the advertising campaign, and they published all this stuff, but it was never their intent. They just tripped and fell, and oh, next thing you know, they had an ad uh, you know, featuring BDSM and children. That's what we're supposed to believe. The statement said, the first campaign, the gift collection campaign, featured children with plush bear bags in what some have labeled BDSM-inspired outfits. Oh, some have labeled. Yeah, like the some being people with eyes have labeled it that way. Our plush bear bags in the gift collection should not have been featured with children. This was a wrong choice by Balenciaga, uh, combined with our failure in assessing and validating images. The responsibility for this lives with us alone. The second separate campaign for spring 2023, which was meant to replicate a business office environment, included a photo with a page in the background from a Supreme Court ruling, United States versus Williams 2008, which confirms as illegal and not protected by freedom of speech, the promotion of child pornography. Um, so it's, of course, the BDSM teddy bear wasn't the only thing. They also had, as they acknowledge in their statement now, they also had photos, separate photos featuring documents discussing child pornography. Actual explicit references to child pornography that they included in this ad campaign. Um, and now we have more updates. This is from the Post Millennial. It says, last week, luxury fashion brand Balenciaga fell into controversy as disturbing and uh, exploitative images emerged from their website of children posed in alarming ways with sexualized paraphernalia, um, such as bondage gear, sparking looks at the company's chief designer, who is Lada Volkova, who has posted images on Instagram of Satan worship, as well as child torture, mutilation, and sexualization. On Twitter, many users have posted images from uh, Volkova's Instagram, which is now private. Detransitioner Ali London posted a sampling and wrote, uh, these are shocking posts from Balenciaga's stylist, Lada Volkova, who has a sick obsession with torture, Satan, and child mutilation. These pics are beyond disturbing, but there are far worse on our Instagram. Um, and... We don't even need to put up the images. It's just, it's exactly as it's described. It's satanic uh, images of torture, child mutilation, all of that, that this uh, designer has posted in the past on her Instagram and now has taken it all down and put it all to private. So this is pure Satanism. And it's, uh, when you see the, the absolute filth and degeneracy and wickedness that is being mainstreamed and promoted at the highest levels of society, along with being infuriated and, you know, making you cry out to God for vengeance against these sick, child-abusing freaks, along with that, it can be, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredibly demoralizing and dispiriting and uh, psychologically and spiritually exhausting to live in a culture where the rot is so deep. And the sickness does feel sometimes terminal. Uh, which, as a parent, that's a that is a terrifying, despair-inducing thought because this, you know, my kids are just like your kids are inheriting this culture. Which is why what I really want to do sometimes is just like take my family and move into the woods and be done with all this, move away from the filth and from the sadistic, twisted predators who wish harm on my children and on your children. 
Just, you know, move away from it. Live a simple life somewhere, somewhere far away from it. But I can't because that's not what uh, I'm called to do. It's not what most of us are called to do. We're called to confront this and fight against it. And as for Balenciaga, the most revealing thing has been the reaction or lack thereof in certain corners. For example, Kim Kardashian, who's the brand ambassador for these child porn peddlers, issued a statement that, I mean, it, it falls well short of denouncing the company and certainly falls well short of pledging not to work with them anymore. In fact, she's indicated the opposite, that she will continue to work with them. So this was her statement. She says, I've been quiet for the past few days, not because I haven't been disgusted and outraged by the Balenciaga campaigns, but because I want an opportunity to speak to their team to understand for myself how this could have happened. As a mother of four, I've been shaken by the disturbing images. The safety of children must be um, held with the highest regard, and any attempts to normalize child abuse of any kind should have no place in our society, period. I appreciate Balenciaga's removal of the campaigns and apology in speaking with them. She, uh, she said, uh, I believe that they understand the seriousness of the issue and will take necessary measures for this never to happen again. As for my future with Balenciaga, I am currently reevaluating my relationship with the brand, basing it off of their willingness to accept accountability for something that should have never happened to begin with and the actions I'm expected to see them take to protect children. Uh, she's reevaluating. She's reevaluating whether or not she should continue to work with child porn peddlers. That's something she needs to reevaluate. You know, there are some things on in life. I mean, I, I generally speaking, I believe in second chances for people, but there are some things in life where there is no second chance. Like there are some things you can do where there is no, you, you don't get a second shot at it. Um, and one of them is distributing um, abusive and exploitative images of children, not just distributing them, but also trying to, you know, it, it, trying to profit off of them. That's not a quote unquote mistake. That is a deliberate thing that they did because they thought they could get away with it. And the only reason that they didn't get away with it is just because of people on social media, mostly conservatives who seem to be upset about this. If not for that, they, they would have gotten away with it because they, they counted on people like Kim Kardashian. You know, they knew that, I mean, the only reason, and the only reason Kim Kardashian saying anything about it is because she's been forced to, to do so. Over on The View, meanwhile, their biggest concern with uh, children being exploited and abused for an ad campaign is not that it's happening. They're not concerned for the children themselves, but really that, uh, but rather that it, it, will, it will play into the hands of the far right. Listen. What's I, going on here? I found this ad campaign particularly distasteful um, in this moment. So there's this, there's growing anti-LGBTQ sentiment right now. And it, how it's being framed is as portraying, you know, trans people as groomers. This is a term you'll hear on the far right. They're groomers. This is where you get the anti-drag queen stuff that we're right. seeing. So Balenciaga played right into their hands by having kids in a sexualized manner, carrying something that represents, you know, sex acts. I think it was a really <coughs> bad misstep at a moment where it's just kind of a dangerous time to even give credence to those kind of insane takes. Yeah, I mean, we can't even show the picture because it's so distasteful. But what's also very distasteful is like Balenciaga lately, I mean, <laughs> their stuff is just ugly. I mean, the, the bag that, that their little girl is holding is ugly. Do you remember when Kim K was dressed in Balenciaga for the gala? She loves the it. Gala? Look at that. Oh, yeah, she looks like a bat or something. 
That, I mean, everything you need to know about these people is right there in that video. So what are their concerns? A fashion brand exploiting children, using uh, sexually exploitive images of, of children. What's their concern? One, of course, their first concern is that it might be damaging to, uh, you know, the, the alphabet club. Uh, that's their first concern is, is what? What about the LGBT people? Child sexually exploited in ad campaign, LGBT community most affected. That's what, that's what we get from them. Which, by the way, wh- why are you bringing LGBT into this? No one on the right did that. That's you doing that. I didn't see anyone on the right who saw this Balenciaga campaign and said, oh, it's the uh, LGBT people have done this. I don't, the people behind this, I don't, know, I don't know what their sexual orientation is. Um, I, don't know, I don't know how they uh, self-identify. Doesn't matter. I don't need to know any of those details. We, need, we, need, we know everything we need to know about them based on the ad they put out. So that's a connection that they're making on The View. And that's their first concern. And their second concern is just that the, uh, the, the outfits or the, the, the clothing, the apparel that Balenciaga puts out is ugly. And here's what we have to understand is that these, these people, they are not very eager to condemn the sexualization of children because they have no problem with the sexualization of children. In fact, to be more specific, they don't think that children can be sexualized because they believe that children are already sexual from birth. This is what Alfred Kinsey believed and taught, and he's one of the godfathers of the sexual revolution. This is his culture, and we're all just living in it. That's why it's so important to understand the origins of this stuff. And this is what they believe. So they just don't see it as a problem. All right, Daily Wire has this report. Disney's latest agenda-pushing project is off to a brutal start at the box office. Strange World, an animated film featuring a gay teen romance, opened Wednesday with a poor $4.2 million in ticket sales and is projected to bring in as little as $21 million over what should be a strong holiday weekend. The film, which pushes sexual orientation and climate agendas, is on track to be Disney's latest overwoke nightmare. Uh, In fact, from what I've read, they're looking at um, losing $100 million on on this film. And actually, the wokeness in this movie goes even beyond the gay love story thing at the center of it. Uh, So here's some more details from the Daily Wire report. Strange World tells the story of gay teen Ethan, voiced by Jabuki Young White. Jabuki, is that the, how it's pronounced? Who has the support of his loving biracial parents, Searcher and Meridian. The family rejects its fabled heritage as explorers to farm but ends up pulled back into the family business to hunt for Searcher's father, Jaeger, who went missing when he was a child. The search is aided by their disabled dog and takes them to um, Avalonia, a strange world with a fragile ecosystem. Ethan struggles to get past his shyness around his love interest, a boy named Diazzo. So so you've got the gay teen with the biracial parents. Um, It's a a story that centers around a, a climate change and even the even the dog is disabled. Like they 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 even had to find a way to inject some wokeness there as well. So we have full representation, all the boxes checked, everything is going for it as far as wokeness goes, right? As far as political correctness goes, every single box checked. But what they forgot is that you're telling a story, and the story itself has to be worthwhile. It has to be a good story. And um, 
people just aren't interested in it. And so it's looking at, at losing $100 million. One of, the, one of the biggest bombs for Disney ever in history. And by the way, the, so people on the left, very embarrassed by this, especially coming on the heels of, I've already forgotten the name of it. You know, that's part of the problem, I think, with the, oh, is it the, the gay uh, ro- romantic comedy Bros. So coming on the heels of that, and that comes out, and nobody goes to see it, okay? It's, it earns, I think it was like $7 at the box office opening weekend. It did, that's not even a full ticket. Somehow just half of a ticket was sold. Just half of a, a, a ticket stub somebody bought, and that's all that it did in the box office its opening weekend. So that's a, a major bomb, a catastrophe. And then Disney tries something very similar, but targeting kids this time. Um, and in terms of the money loss, it's an even worse bomb. So this is very embarrassing for the left, and uh, they're coming up with ways to excuse this. And of course, one of their so that one of their go-to explanations is that well, this shows there's homophobia, homophobia. The fact that parents don't want to bring their children to go watch you know a story revolving around a romance between two teenage boys that's homophobia. That's part of their explanation. And the other one is that Disney. That, that, that actually Disney sabotaged the film by intentionally not promoting it. And that's why, if, any, if only everyone had been told about the gay teen cartoon romance, then the theaters would have been filled to the rafters with people just, just itching to bring their kids to be exposed to this kind of content. But Disney sabotaged it. And I, I can tell you right now, that is not the case. And I can tell you for two reasons. One of them is anecdotal, which is that I definitely saw advertisements for this. I am not the target market for um, Disney films. And so many Disney film, films come out, and I don't even know about them. They, they can, they're in theaters, and they leave theaters, and I never even hear about them. Probably most Disney films at this point, I don't even hear about them. This one, I heard about. And so it's anecdotal, but I can say that if I hear about it, then it's definitely being promoted at least to the level of other Disney films and probably a lot more than that. Because this film got not only marketing, but it also got the free marketing from the media um, making a big deal about it because it's a gay teen romance for kids. Shattering the glass ceiling. So we know that's not true, but also this is not how movie studios work. Okay, they don't spend tens of millions of dollars making a film to then sabotage it on purpose. They, they want to make money on the project. So that is not the explanation. The explanation is that, so it's, it's not that it wasn't promoted. It's not that everyone is homophobic. It's, it's two things. One, by all accounts, just, just looks like a bad movie where the message is put before the story as I talk about all the time, we're seeing sort of the in a bizarro world version of the mistake that the Christian film industry has made for so many years. Where now the message is diametrically opposite, but the mistake is in making the message, you putting the message before the story, so that you couldn't possibly enjoy watching it unless you're fully bought into them. You're only there for the sermon. In other words, it's not you're not there for the story itself. You got to put the story first. Um, that's part of the, the reason why I bombed. And then, and then also, as far as the message, this is not a message that most parents are interested in exposing their children to. It's just as simple as that. 
And you can complain about it all you want. One thing you notice is that most of the people complaining about it are not parents. So most of the people insisting that we as parents should be eager to expose our kids to a gay teen romance. So there's nothing wrong with that as a parent. What are you talking about? Most people saying that aren't, they don't have kids. They have no idea what they're talking about. And even if they do have kids, well, I feel sorry for their own kids, but that's not going to affect what I do with mine. And the simple reality is that most people, even people who would identify themselves as liberal, they vote Democrat. I mean, the box office receipts show it. Even most of those people, when push comes to shove, they actually don't want to sit in the theater with their seven-year-old kid to watch a story about a teenage boy that falls in love with another teenage boy. Don't want to see it. Nor should they want to. All right. This is from... uh, The Daily Wire as well, it says, Twitter CEO Elon Musk signaled Monday that he might be preparing to go to war with Apple after the company has largely stopped advertising on Twitter and has reportedly threatened to boot the social media platform from its app store. Musk specifically called out Apple CEO Tim Cook in a series of tweets where he also raised the issue of censorship. Uh, Musk says, Apple has mostly stopped advertising on Twitter. Do they hate free speech in America? What's going on here? Apple has also threatened to withhold Twitter from its app store, but won't tell us why. So this is this is the latest. Is Apple going to kick Twitter out of its app store? And they won't say why because they're not going to they're not going to say the reason out loud. Because the reason is pure politics. It's purely ideological. They don't agree with Elon Musk's politics, and so they're going to punish him by removing one of the most popular apps in the world from the app store. It is a very fascinating thing to watch. Because the question here is, can the system coalesce and team up to take down the richest man on earth? So you've got the richest man on earth versus the system. And the one thing about the system is that, is that the, 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 the people and the institutions within it, you know, they hate Elon Musk on ideological grounds, but they also hate him even more because they feel betrayed. You know, he's supposed to be on their side. He's a wealthy elite. He is the wealthiest, and so therefore, in many ways, the most elite person on the planet. And and there's he's so he's one of theirs as far as they're concerned. He's supposed to be in their um, demonic fraternity, and he's not. And he's turned against them, and they hate him for that. Keep in mind too that Apple. So when it comes to the to the App Store, and yeah, there are other ways of accessing Twitter. You can access Twitter on your browser. Um, but when it comes to the App Store, Apple and Google control access to the App Store, like 100%. They have 100% control over it, so it, it's, a, it's a monopoly or duopoly. And yet here you have the left, of course, you know, taking Apple's side and supporting a corporate monopoly on the grounds that, well, Apple can do whatever it wants. It's the, the, the rights of a private business. Coming to the defense of the richest corporation on the planet, which is trying to exercise monopoly power in one of the most egregious and blatant ways that we've seen in decades. And the and the anti-corporate, the you know, left, the supposed supposedly the socialists, right, are uh, coming to its defense. So they'll they'll defend the private 
business rights of Apple, this multi-gazillion dollar mega global corporation. But when it comes to like a, a baker, just some random baker in Colorado who doesn't want to bake a cake for a gay wedding, in that case, no, you don't have private business rights. Because there's, it, it's, it, it would be a, there would be apocalyptic consequences to allowing a random baker in a small town in Colorado, allowing him to decide for himself who he is going to provide cakes to. That would have apocalyptic, earth-shattering consequences. And yet allowing the richest and most powerful corporation in the world to exercise these kinds of monopoly powers um, for political reasons, that has no, that's, that's no big deal. By the way, the White House says that it's keeping an eye on uh, Elon Musk and Twitter, keeping an eye on the situation. Let's listen to that. Question about Twitter. Um, you know, there's a researcher at Stanford who says that this is a critical moment, really, in terms of um, ensuring that Twitter does not become a vector for misinformation. I mean, are you concerned about the, you know, Elon Musk says there's more and more uh, subscribers coming online. Are you concerned about that? And what tools do you have? Who is it at the White House that is really keeping track of this? So look, this is something that we're certainly uh, keeping an eye on. And uh, look, um, we, you know, we have always been very clear um, and that uh, when it comes to social media platforms, it is their responsibility uh, to make sure that um, when it comes to misinformation, when we when we comes to the hate that we're seeing, uh, that they they take action, that they continue uh, to take action. Again. We're all keeping a close eye on this. We're all uh, uh, monitoring uh, what's what's currently uh, occurring, and uh, we see, you know, we see it with our own eyes of, of what you all are reporting, and just for for ourselves, what's happening on, on Twitter. Uh, but again, social media companies have a responsibility to prevent their platforms uh, from being used by any user uh, to incite violence, especially violence uh, directed at individual communities, as we have been seeing, and the president has been very clear on calling uh, that out. He'll continue to do that, uh, and we're going to continue to monitor the situation. Man, she is so bad at this. She is so incredibly bad at this. She's so bad. Maybe, maybe this is the, maybe there is some brilliant strategy behind having, um, you know, Gene Pear, Karen Jean Pear, in, in, in that role. Maybe the strategy is that, like, she rambles and has this very circuitous way of speaking and there's so many unnecessary words being said that you sort of fall asleep and you, you, you lose your train of thought and you're not paying attention anymore to what she's saying. It's this filibuster strategy. And so you might not notice that what is that, when you cut through all of that, what is actually being said is quite horrifying. And that's certainly the case here. So cutting through all of the rambling, what she's actually saying is that the White House is monitoring Twitter um, to make sure that you know, it, that Twitter is being run in the way that the White House feels that it ought to. So much for the rights of private businesses, like we just talked about a second ago. Let's get to the comment section. Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby gang. 
Looking for a meaningful gift for your loved one this year? You've got to check out Legacy Box. Legacy Box is a simple and safe way to digitize your treasured videotapes, film reels, and photos. They've helped over a million families, mine included, uh, do just that. Just send in your tapes or photos, and they'll send them back in digital format that will always be protected from floods, mold, or other hazards. These irreplaceable moments can be easily viewed, shared, and passed on for future generations. Legacy Box is uh, what Better Homes and Gardens calls the most sentimental gift for making this holiday season special. Last year, I you know, infamously refused to fix my mother's VCR of the Thanksgiving holiday. And to make up for this slight against my dear sweet mother, sweet grandma Walsh, if you will, I got her Legacy Box so that she doesn't have to keep her old VCR around. And more importantly, I don't have to fix it. Legacy Box is giving my listeners their best deal of the year this cyber week. Visit LegacyBox.com Walsh to save 65% off your order. With limited quantities available and ready to ship, this deal will go fast. So go to LegacyBox.com Walsh for 65% off today. That's LegacyBox.com Walsh. Julie says, Matt, over the weekend, I started a petition to try and get you on The View. I got almost 200 signatures when it suddenly just disappeared, completely gone, no email, no notification that I violated any user agreement. Name dropping you apparently causes a total hard reset. Strangely enough, I keep getting emails reminding me to share my petition. However, it's been wiped from existence. I'm so sad that my dream of watching you school those clucking hens will never come to be. Uh, that, is, that is pretty interesting. Which And I appreciate your efforts because, as you know, this is uh, one of my greatest dreams is to appear on The View. I know that Ben Shapiro also talks about how this is one of his dreams in life. Um, I, it, it will probably never be either one of us. I don't think either, either one of us are getting on The View, but it certainly could never be both. So it's got to be one. There is a, like a, a competition here about if any of us, if, any, if anyone's going to get on The View. I, I don't see how multiple Daily Wire people will get on. Uh, especially after, because if, if one of us gets on The View, after that happens, um, no one else from this company is going to be allowed on it ever again. So if there's ever a shot, it's just going to be one shot. And there can be only one, right? So there is a competition here. I don't, I don't know that a petition is how these things work, but it's worth trying. So what I would say is just make another petition. Flood the zone. Okay, let's, let's put 100 petitions out there. Until they can't ignore us. I mean, they can still ignore us, but it's worth trying. Jack says, as soon as I heard about ancient apocalypse, I knew it would be the kind of thing that Matt is into. I don't know if you meant that as a compliment or not, Jack, but uh, that's how I choose to take it. Because absolutely, the, the minute I heard about the show Ancient Apocalypse, I knew it would be the kind of show that I'm into as well. And, uh, and I watched it and I was. I was not disappointed. I just, as I said yesterday, I really, I don't have to agree with the conclusions. And when it comes to Graham Hancock, I, I do think that there, there are plenty of, uh, like we talked about yesterday, there are plenty of facts that he brings up that are, that are facts. And, that are, and he brings up a lot of points that are totally valid. My issue is just with when you get to the final conclusion, like what this is all leading to, and he has this story about the ancient uh, advanced civilization and the apocalypse and someone sur- some group survived it and then they go throughout the world uh, you know, making contact with these primitive societies and teaching them the ways of civilization. It's like, it's that part that I'm not on board with because I just think that there's no direct evidence of that at all. But there is a lot of evidence that the story we're being told by, as he says, mainstream archaeology is not true. And at the very least is not complete. 
And I think that's interesting. And I and I also I I just have a uh, I have a soft spot for outside the box thinkers. People come up with really fascinating theories. This is why I'm also a big ancient aliens guy too. Probably won't surprise you to learn. I don't believe almost any of the stuff in that show. I don't. I don't even think it's meant to be believed. It's basically science fiction, but I still enjoy it. It's fun to think about. And um, and the thing is, even if someone has a totally outlandish theory, that in the end is not true at all, there's value in listening to it, and they might still bring up points that you weren't aware of or hadn't thought about. And they might cause you to think about something a little bit differently. Even if it's not to agree with them, you're now thinking a little bit differently about this and you might see angles that you missed before. So it's sort of like a brainstorming session, right? When you, when you've ever, if you've ever been in a creative brainstorming session, you need people in the room who have totally out there ideas and their ideas will never be executed as they're proposed anyway, but you need them there because they're, they're the ones who get you know, get your mind turning. They get the wheels turning. All right. Kevin Ross says, Matt, what you've predicted is already coming to pass. I've been arguing with idiots on Reddit wherever Dragon Story Hour is vigorously defended as I can't help myself. I've made the point repeatedly that I wouldn't want a stripper or burlesque dancer reading to kids either. The response is usually there's nothing sexual about drag queens or even more concerning are those who say that they'd actually be fine with a stripper or burlesque dancer reading to kids. Yeah, I think that's exactly where this is heading more and more and more, and we're seeing it, um, where where they'll, you know, you, you you might point out that well, you're you're okay with drag queens and the sexual environment reading to kids, but if it was any other, you know, if it was a woman dressed like that, you wouldn't be okay with it. If it was a female burlesque dancer, you wouldn't be okay with it. Well, I think more and more the left is saying, yeah, actually, we're okay with that too. Uh, and Rose says, kudos to Matt for saying we need more people like this rather than fewer instead of less people like this. This proves Matt is a well-educated man. This is, this is one of my many pet, grammatical pet peeves is when people get less than and fewer than wrong or when they, when they mix up further and farther. And, uh, but I noticed myself on a show a few days ago that I, I, I myself committed both of those sins. So I've, I've, Realize that I need to recommit myself. And finally, Tie My Shoe says, Matt's Native American name would be Dakota Tusk, chieftain of the walrus clan. I like that. And since I am, as we talked about yesterday, I am a Native American. So I will, uh, I will accept that name. If the price of your Thanksgiving meal has left a bad taste in your mouth, remember, it's completely normal to keep paying more and more for the same things, right? Well, no, wrong. Today is the last day of the Daily Wire Cyber Sale, and everything in our shop is 40% off. That's right, 40% off my Johnny the Walrus book and plushy bundle, 40% off the Leftist Tears Dog Bowl, the iconic Daily Wire Truth Bomb, so so much else, everything else, in fact, is 40% off. And don't forget, it's free shipping on, order, on orders over $75 and a free Leftist Tears Tumblr on orders over $100. So unless... You're one of the super fans who actually wants to give us extra money. Don't wait until tomorrow. Go to dailywire.com shop today for your last chance to get 40% off our best deal of the year on all gifts worth giving. So go there now. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. You may recall several months ago when the White House announced one of its newest hires, determined to make his administration resemble as closely as possible an early 20th century freak show, uh, Biden decided to give a top-level job in the Department of Energy to a man named Sam Brinton. 
Brinton was named the Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Office of Spent Fuel and Waste Disposition and was granted, therefore, one of the highest security clearances in the department. This was an interesting, though not at all surprising choice because Brinton is a bizarre cross-dressing creep who identifies as a non-binary they-them. And that's about the most normal thing about him. So for your reference, um, here's a video from just a couple of years ago when Brinton was an activist with the far-left group, group, the Trevor Project. And here he is explaining, in this video, I believe it is, the, the importance of pronouns. Pronouns are a fascinating part of modern culture. I don't think many people think about them very often until someone like myself or others say their pronouns. So when I introduce myself, I generally say, hi, my name's Sam Britton. I use they and them as my pronouns, and I serve as head of advocacy and government affairs for the Trevor Project. I give this before I even give my job because it's the important way that you're going to describe me. Not what I do, but who I am. And that I respect for my gender is really, really important. Of course, you know, everything he said there is nonsense, but um, he's dressed even more nonsensically. He looks like he got into a fight with a Hot Topic mannequin and lost. Or maybe he looks like a Jason Bourne cross-dressing with a costume he bought on clearance at Party City the day after Halloween. Worse yet, Brinton is also a bestiality fetishist who enjoys having sex with men dressed like dogs. And if you're interested, you can learn more about that uh, in one of the Kink 101 workshops that he taught on college campuses. And finally, to complete Brinton's resume, he also wrote an article for The Advocate in 2015 where he defended a website called Rent Boy. Rent Boy, was it called? Which had been uh, shut down by the feds for facilitating underage prostitution. And in the since-deleted article, Brinton worried that there, there would be serious ramifications, quote-unquote, to the gay community if the prostitution site was taken down. He argued that Rent Boy was performing a service by giving young people a way to, quote, earn a living by selling their bodies. So this guy is, to summarize, a sick, twisted deviant. And for that reason, not in spite of it, but because of it, he was made a high-level official in the Biden administration. And that brings us to the latest news, first reported by a site called uh, alphanews.com. And here it is, quote, Law enforcement at the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport were alerted to a missing suitcase in the baggage claim area on September 16th. The adult female victim said she flew into MSP on a Delta flight from New Orleans and went to retrieve her check bag at Carousel 7. Airport records confirmed the Navy Blue Vera Bradley roller bag arrived at 4.40 p.m. but was missing from the carousel. So law enforcement reviewed video surveillance uh, footage from the baggage claim area and observed Britain removing a navy blue roller bag from Carousel 7, according to a criminal complaint. The complaint says Britain removed a luggage tag from the bag, placed it into a handbag that he was carrying, and then left the area at a quick pace. Britain arrived at MSP Airport around 2.427 on American Airlines flight from Washington, D.C., but did not check a bag. Police showed the surveillance video to the victim, and she confirmed it was her bag. Now, by the way, just a side note here, take special note of the fact that he didn't check a bag himself which would negate any defense that he took the bag by accident, thinking that it you know, was one of his own bags. There's no reason for him to even be in the baggage claim area if he didn't check a bag to begin with, unless he was there specifically to steal a bag, which appears to be the case. Back to the article says, Britain 
left the airport in an Uber for a stay at the Intercontinental St. Paul Riverfront Hotel, where he checked in with the blue bag. The complaint says he returned to MSP on September 18th with the bag in hand for departing the flight back to Washington, D.C. Uh, surveillance video from Dulles International Airport shows Britain traveling with the bag on an October 9th return trip from Europe. The victim said the estimated value of the bag and its contents was around $2,325. Police questioned Britain about the missing bag in an October 19th phone call, uh, ninth phone call, and asked him directly if he took anything that did not belong to him. Uh, not that I know of, Britain allegedly responded. He later admitted to taking the bag but said the clothes inside were his. I don't know how that would work, according to the complaint. If I had taken the wrong bag, I'm happy to return it, but I don't have any clothes for another individual. Uh, that was my clothes when I opened the bag, he told police. So someone else flying from a different city had a bag that it magically had his clothes in it. Britain allegedly called the investigating officers two hours later and apologized for not being completely honest. This time, Britain said that he took the bag because he was tired and thought that it was his, the complaint says. He was tired. Sure, that makes sense. I mean, who hasn't been so tired while traveling that they wander down to the baggage claim, bleary-eyed, take a random bag, walk out with it, take an Uber to the hotel, and then keep the bag and travel with it again two weeks later. Happens to the best of us. If it's possible, his excuse only gets worse from here. Because he later told police that when he opened the bag in his hotel room, that he, you know, at that point he noticed that it wasn't his, but he was nervous that they'd think that he stole the bag. So his solution was to take all the clothes out and leave them in the drawers in the hotel room, but take the bag with him. Because he said that he thought it would be weird to leave the bag with its contents in the room. I suppose it's no surprise that this guy doesn't have the clearest concept of what is weird and what isn't. Because if he did, he'd realize that of all the choices he could have made throughout this ordeal, he made each time definitely the weirdest one. And that's if his story is even true, which of course it almost certainly isn't. Uh, police say that they never recovered any clothes from his hotel room. Uh, by all appearances then, he kept not only the bag, but he kept the clothing as well. And so he's now charged with, uh, with a felony. Okay, so... This whole saga raises a question. It raises, indeed, more than one question. Um, and so a few of those questions are things like, you know, why would this guy brazenly steal a random woman's luggage? I mean, didn't he realize there are security cameras all over the airport? It's an airport. It, it may have been a nice suitcase as far as suitcases go. I don't know. But was it worth the criminal charge and public embarrassment that we're sure to follow? You could not choose a worse place for stealing luggage than an airport. I don't recommend stealing luggage at all, but if you're going to try it, you're better off trying to steal it from like the store where it's sold than from an airport where there are 15 cameras every five paces. So what could possibly motivate this sort of behavior? As to that last question, I can only speculate, but there is one answer that seems pretty evident here. It would seem that Brenton took the bag because he has a cross-dressing fetish and he gets off on the idea of wearing some strange woman's clothing. Why is he willing to put his career and reputation on the line? Well, partly because he knows he's in a protected class and he can do whatever he wants, but also partly because deviant perverts like Sam Britton are willing to risk pretty much anything in pursuit of their weird, sick pleasures. They are driven almost exclusively by their sexual desires. This is true of any fetishist who feels the need to live out those fetishes in public. Not only to live them out publicly, but to force the public to actively participate in them. Because this is what modern tolerance is so often about. It's about allowing people, usually men, to involve the whole world in their sexual fetishes. 
Many of the men who call themselves trans are really just autogynophiles, and many of them who call themselves non-binary are really just cross-dressing fetishists. It's as simple as that. And we have elevated the fetish to a lifestyle that we all not only have to tolerate, which we shouldn't even have to do that, but, but also uh, 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 affirm it, which is to participate in it. We have empowered these troubled people in our society rather than encouraging them to seek psychological treatment and spiritual healing for their perverse and unnatural desires, which is what they need. And when you empower that enough, you end up and you empower it to the level that Sam Britton has been literally empowered by being given a uh, position in the White House, you end up with exactly what happened at the Minneapolis airport. And that is why Sam Britton is most certainly, and I imagine probably not for the first time on this show, canceled. And that'll do it for this portion of the show as we move over to the members block. Hope to see you there. If not, talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.